Hi everyone, welcome back to A11 Crypto, and today we are going to talk all things institutional with Josh from Genesis Global Trading. Uh, most of you probably know them as a uh, OTC or institutional uh, trading firm, but they are a lot more than that. So why don't I give the floor to you, Josh, and uh, give us a little background about maybe yourself and well as a company. Yeah, uh, thank you for having me, and uh, I'm really glad we could talk about this this very interesting topic. Um, so my name is Joshua Lim, and I've uh, been working at Genesis for about a year. Um, previous to Genesis, I, I worked in equity derivatives um, at Goldman um, and uh, at UBS, um, and then I got my start in crypto in 2014. I worked at a um, at Circle, you know, way back in the day when it sort of uh, had an OTC desk and was doing a lot of sort of retail trading in crypto um, and then sort of gradually moved up the spectrum towards more institutional sort of dealing um, kind of back to what I was doing on the sell side um, in, in equity derivatives, but um, translated to crypto. Um, Genesis as a firm has been in crypto for a long time as well. Genesis um, got its start in 2013 in crypto um, and really started as an OTC dealing desk, you know, spot trading um, blocks um, with, you know, the, the sort of, um, early adopters, you know, DCG portfolio companies, um, there, there are a lot of sort of, um, early participants in the market that Genesis was really plugged into. Um, and then over time, you know, the makeup of the, of the customer base has also shifted to become much more sort of asset management, um, hedge fund, uh, and those types of institutional counterparties. Um, and then we've added like a couple of new business lines to complement our spot trading business, including sort of the financing business, which is called Genesis Capital, um, where we, you know, we operate a bit like a like a repo desk or um, a securities lending desk where we're, we're helping um, our counterparties uh, leverage their positions or, or expand the balance sheet or allow them to sort of borrow assets from us to um, go short, for instance, things like that. Um, and then we also have a derivatives business, which is what I came in to sort of build out. I, um, you know, I, I've been trying to sort of work with a lot of our counterparty base that is pretty active in the spot and the lending business and, and sort of helping them figure out new ways to kind of express their views and, um, you know, hedge their positions, things like that, using very um, simple structures like puts and calls and forwards, but um, which are, you know, relatively new to the crypto world and which a lot of people are finding that there's, um, you know, interesting trading opportunities because of because of this new sort of um, instrument that's available to them. Oh, so yeah, thank you for, uh, so much for that, Josh. Um, I, I'm wondering, you know, as as the space matured, right, from 2014 and 17 and this cycle, right, is the was the expansion of the firm simply as a you know uh, result of expanding instruments and needs in the marketplace and the sophistication of the participants? Yeah, so just like the expansion of Genesis in particular or the the whole industry? I guess, you know, uh, the expansion of Genesis, I, I, I think, you know, because we're still so early in, in, in the in the formation of this industry, uh, I think Genesis and maybe a few other firms are the industry, right? Like, So, so why don't you give, a, give us a bit more insight into how, how that came about, right? So obviously, you mentioned you were trading spot back in 2014, right? I think that was like Mount Gox, right? And then and then things start to evolve. So... So what did you what did you see along the way? What what has changed? Yeah, for for sure. So um, you know, I think the biggest thing that we've uh, we've seen is just like the the entrance of just much more sophisticated market participants over time. Um, 
I think the market used to be very much like 90% retail driven um, when it was a much smaller asset class, right? And then now where, you know, the market cap of crypto is, is well north of a trillion now, um, there, are, there is much more kind of scope um, for and liquidity for, you know, bigger kind of asset managers to really dedicate like funds to crypto or, you know, significant portions of, um, of their portfolios to crypto. Um, and that, you know, that has enabled the, the kind of the ratio to balance out a little bit more in the favor of like institutions um, and the types of sizes that they're moving. Right. And you kind of kind of you, you saw that really take headlines, like I would say, like back half of last year yeah. where, um, you know, the, the, you know, the squares of the world and the micro strategies um, uh, and, and sort of like one river, you know, a bunch of these sort of like very notable kind of um, and, and billion dollar type um, asset managers started to allocate into crypto. Corporate treasury started to allocate in, into crypto. And it got to the point where, um, you know, it was very difficult for most institutions to um, to say, you know, we don't have a crypto strategy or we have no view on it or we don't want to participate because of regulatory risk or anything else like that, because, you know, there were so many examples of firms um, that were already active in it and, and firms of significant size, like S&P 500 type of firms. So, um, so yeah, that, that's kind of where we see it going into the future too, is that, um, you know, there is going to be increased need for the types of um, products and services that these, you know, corporate treasuries and these sort of hedge fund managers use on the traditional side, right? Whether it's like the prime brokerage type platforms or the, um, you know, the treasury solutions type of corporate treasury solutions, um, things like, you know, um, lending and borrowing and sort right. of repo for the, the crypto assets on their balance sheet, um, things like derivatives. Yeah. Yeah. So, so just to give people maybe um, a better idea of how Genesis and all of these uh, more sophisticated instruments ran trading, uh, are plugged into the space. Because right? I think people, without being on the uh, institutional side, right, uh, it's very difficult for people to get an, um, an understanding of exactly what that looked like. Now, you mentioned about all these bigger players coming to the market, right? One of the things I, um, you know, that, that's, that, that I had in my mind was that when these people come in, let's say that they come in with, I don't know, 100 million, 200 million, or, or even a billion or bigger amount of money, right? Is it only... Uh, or put it in this way, right? Is BTC currently the most, I guess, the only asset class or most probable asset class that can accommodate this sort of flow, right? Because if you go anything smaller, it literally is illiquid. You, you can't get out of your position, right? What do you see there? Yeah, I, I think we've gotten to a point where liquidity is actually, um, there's there's actually you know, an abundance of liquidity. I think like there's, there's so much, um, there's a lot of sort of the, you know, the high frequency kind of market makers that are providing spot liquidity on screens that oftentimes, um, and that's especially as like the number of products has proliferated. Um, I think things can sometimes get mispriced in terms of, you know, things, things trading a little too, too aggressively. Um, I think there is a lot of capital pouring in the space at the same time. There are a lot of companies out there that are competing for market share. And so um, I do, I do think that Sometimes it does pay off to be a little bit of a market taker in this type of market. Um, and you, you know, you can kind of see that dynamic too shifting. Like there's a lot of firms out there that, you know, maybe started off doing a lot of sort of market making or liquidity provision. Um, and then over time become much more like a prop risk taking type of firm. 
Um, and I think that's a natural evolution of the asset class as well. But yeah, look, in terms of liquidity, like, you know, Coinbase trades like what a billion dollars uh, on, on its Bitcoin USD cross per day. Um, and that's like one of the, the smaller kind of markets out there, right? Because it is just like, it, it is a little bit limited in scope in terms of who can trade on that cross. Um, it is a much more regulated venue than, than most out there. So, um, so yeah, I mean, if that's, if that's a proxy, like, and, and, you know, the volumes on, um, on CME are even, even higher, right. And that's an even better proxy for like institutional interest and liquidity on the, on the futures product. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think all in all that, that does demonstrate that there is decent sized liquidity, especially, you know, if you're trying to move a couple hundred million dollars of, um, of size at a time, maybe, you know, you do have to run it through some sort of algorithmic execution over a couple hours, but it's not. Um, it's not such, you know, on, on, it's not such a large size that you can't actually execute it, you know, with, with, um, minimal market impact. Right, right, right. Cause, cause in my mind, I always, um, you know, had this idea that, you know, institutional players would go to BDC mostly because regulatory, um, clarity, um, as, mm -hmm. as well as infrastructure, right? Like I, I can't believe an, an institutional investor would like to start with, uh, a, uh, you know, fiftieth, uh, you know, coin on Coin Coin Gecko, right? It's just like <laughs> it, it it doesn't work like that, right? Because I think for people who are outside the 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 uh, the industry, um, you know, the 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 requirement of uh, regulatory clarity uh, is actually quite big, right? If you're an institutional investor, that's the first thing you, you got. You you need to toe the line before you do anything right. else. Right, right, right. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, now you mentioned something that's interesting to me, right? You mentioned that a lot of the players in the market uh, moved away from simply, you know, from being a market maker to, you know, take a set of things, right? And you, and, and that's like going into a, like a, a, a prop trading sort of th thing. It, why is that? It, uh, what happened that made this more sort of like profitable, I guess? Yeah. Look, I, I think it's, it's pretty natural, right? I think over time, like, um, that there, you know, you see a lot of sort of people who started off more like market neutral, more, um, more like sell side type of shops that end up sort of becoming, um, more proprietary risk takers. Um, and I think that evolution like happened in a lot of other asset classes, like pretty early on. Right. I think like pre kind of Dodd-Frank, like regulatory stuff in the U S. Um, I think you know, that, that sort of stuff is happening in crypto as well, because, um, you know, that there are people, there are basically like two sources of edge now, right? There's people who have sort of relationships and connectivity to, um, market participants and, um, can see good deal flow and understand right. kind of the dynamics of, you know, different assets out there, like, um, you know, no, kind of knowing, knowing where, um, the bodies lie kind of in some sure. sense. Um, and then there are a lot of folks where their advantage is really more around technology and speed and like kind of low latency, um, good algos, things like that. Um, and so that, that's the kind of bifurcation, right? And like a lot of people that maybe started off on the more liquidity provision side of the market are transitioning towards being more sort of like capital allocators. Uh, interesting. I, I actually yeah. uh, had, a, had an episode um, uh, earlier today. That I haven't put it out yet, but we're talking about the, the alphas in the market, right? Like one of them is literally like, well, who do you know in the marketplace, right? And and that's yeah. I mean, I think that's the uh, biggest source of alpha for a lot of VCs, right? That massively de-risk their investment process, um, simply because of that, right? Um, whereas on trading side, you you actually have to have the the chops, right? Whether that's tech, 
or some sort of understanding of the market that others don't have, right? Uh, with, you know, in terms of speed or anything like that. Um, I mean, so 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 you know, for, from where you're sitting, you mentioned um, uh, you also help clients, um, you know, hedge their position or or express their views, right? Because I think one of the key area of growth, uh, even outside of institutional trading, is in the derivatives market. All right, it, it hasn't taken off yet, right? And a big component of that, in my view, is it's it's unless you know you have the training from traditional finance, you don't know what to do, right? Like how. I think, and, 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 and there is a huge danger of having little knowledge, right? If, if you try to go play in the options market, like, you know, you, you get to hang out on the Greeks. Um, you become this um, super uh, intellectual challenge that most people don't have the time to solve, right? So how do you, how do you sort of like um, uh, see uh, maybe this side of things uh, evolve on, on the derivative side? Do you see that, you know, uh, this, this connection between, uh, I guess, someone like you guys um, and more sort of a DeFi platform, they put out the product, but they don't have the liquidity, right? Because that's the biggest, one of the biggest problems preventing the derivatives market uh, from being, you know, efficient and liquid there. And how do you see that? Yeah, yeah. So I think, um, yeah, so, so I guess there is this sort of market gap, I think, where, um, you know, there's two kind of uh, domain expert these kind of buckets in crypto, right? They're sort of the people that really understand sort of um, building protocols on chain, like the actual technology and how to, um, you know, how to construct the protocol in such a way that it's composable with other things and, uh, you know, make sure that it is um, stable and sort of, you know, can, can sustain kind of uh, a lot of inflows and, and growth and things like that. Um, and then there's there's sort of the other side, which is like people who come from traditional finance world that understand liquidity and how to price risk, um, you know, how to price credit, um, how to kind of manage like the sort of tail risks and, and sort of edge cases around like, um, you know, trading basically liquidity. I think that uh, you know, the people that have the, the, the biggest advantage are the ones that can kind of combine those two skill sets. So guys that come from um, in, and there's a lot of firms that kind of you know, are, have that as a vision or as like their central sort of, uh, um, the, their central mandate, right. It's like, you have like, uh, like a big hedge fund guy coming, coming in, they supply the capital, you know, they supply the sort of like the finance know-how and then they hire a bunch of like engineers and sort of like, you know, um, uh, tech, tech folks to like build out things on chain. Um, so I think like the firms that do that really well, like some of them are, you know, VC type shops, um, that have investors and capital allocators and also have like a, a labs type of arm that kind of dedicates, you know, themselves to like liquidity mining and other things. Um, then there's, um, there's a lot of sort of like sell side shops that look like Genesis or other kind of, you know, formerly like OTC type of desks that, um, yeah, that maybe come more from like the pricing risk perspective, but then are layering on kind of more tech capabilities to provide liquidity into the market. And that liquidity is like, you know, it's things like, um, you know, mostly like centralized markets now, right? Or bilateral markets, um, that's that's what Genesis does well. Um, but over time, it's gonna transition more towards, you know, these sort of multilateral platforms uh, and like de decentralized platforms as well. So, so how do you see the the transition from well, obviously I think right now for you guys right the biggest source of customer will be from the institutional traditional guys right who are moving into crypto right crossovers 
But would you yeah. see that slowly? I mean, you know, with with all these tech innovations coming up, right? So now other things that are focused on trading. Do you see these people moving over to using more disinterest solution? I mean, obviously, I think you know a key factor there may be regulation. Um, but let's su suppose that that's been sorted out. Do you see people transition from the traditional, I guess, setup to something more? You know, decentralized, and and how would uh, you know? Uh, well, I guess how is or how will Genesis be 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 you know positioned in such in such cases? Yeah, yeah. No, I I think it is like an existential question for a lot of firms that look like us that are um you know bilateral and sort of you know centralized liquidity venues. Um, I think that over time, you know, the decentralized kind of um. You know, decentralized finance, like those types of protocols, um, whether they're AMMs for kind of liquidity and trading or um, kind of the lending and borrowing type of platforms. I think both of those are going to become much more central to the way firms like us access liquidity um, and financing. Um, I think the biggest challenges to solve are just around like KYC and regulatory um, compliance type of issues, um, AML type of issues. Uh, I think there's a lot of interesting projects that are building on top of um, decentral, you know, on top of um, the AMMs or on top of the lending pools, basically enabling you to sort of either whitelist, you know, who participates on those venues or those protocols themselves are running, you know, like OFAC screens and things like that to sort of reject funds. Um, there's there's projects that are aimed at, you know, implementing things like the travel rule and other things that, you know, come from the FATF guidance. Um, like that's all may seem like very antiquated type stuff coming from a desk like ours, like, Hey, like, why is, why is that, you know, even a factor when you think about these protocols, um, because, you know, Hey, this is like the future, right? <laughs> like in the future, everyone's sort of transacting on chain and nobody really cares about, you know, the identity of other participants, but like in reality, like we have to comply with all that stuff, right? We're a very highly regulated in institution and, and so are a lot of the other dealers out there. Um, and so it's something that we think about every day before we really step into the market in a big way. Um, and yeah, I think eventually those solutions will get to the point where we can use them, right? Like, I feel like a lot of these discussions that we're having now around the compliance issues, like we had these same issues, like, uh, or we had these same discussions maybe, maybe like two years ago when yeah. before there was any real, like, um, value lock in a bunch of the, uh -huh. the DEXs, right? Like people are like, Hey, are, it, it, the, the first question was like, is anyone even going to use these, right? Is there ever going to even be liquidity on them? And now it's clear, like there is liquidity and there are real use cases for these DEXs because, you know, a ton of the assets that people want to trade, um, the main source of liquidity is, is, is DEXs. So, um, yeah, so like, you know, I think we're at the second stage of, you know, how do we solve the compliance issues around it? Um, but I think we'll overcome those as well. Mm -hmm. And like a good analog for that is just like, you know, now, now there's, you know, there's a bunch of centralized exchanges that um, years ago, a lot of people would, would, would bulk at participating on, which right. nowadays, like everyone has to be on, you know, the, the, the top three exchanges, right? right. Um, because that's where all the liquidity is. So um, yeah, I mean, the same thing is going to happen, I think, in, in, um, in the DeFi space. Right, right, right. So the merge between central... Uh, CFI and DeFi is real, I think. Um, yeah, for sure, yeah, yeah. for because, sure. I mean, I think like you guys have so much market expertise, right? In terms of like, uh, you know, pricing the risk, like you said, right? Uh, making the market. Like these things cannot be 
I don't think you can approximate these things without knowing these things, uh, uh, you know, purely by a technologist, right? Like, I, I don't, I don't know how you can do that. I, I think there are a lot of things in DeFi you may be able to build without uh, industry's uh, knowledge prior, right? But I think, you know, I think maybe you know, trading or pricing risk and and some, you know, anything that's highly regulated currently will be mm -hmm. one of these areas. That I think you do need uh, some sort of uh, vertical uh, expertise, right? Um, I, I mean, so so also, right? I'm wondering, like, uh, are you currently working or, or with any DeFi uh, protocols, or are, are you are you making markets? I, I know you, you guys do institutional stuff, right? But do you also make markets for for uh, projects DeFi? Like, how does that work? Yeah, yeah. So we do, right? And we're pretty um, selective about kind of the projects that we're interested in and talking to. Um, and a lot of them, we we really seek them out because we, we view them as somehow strategic to our long-term business. Um, we think it solves like a problem that we might have. Um, and for those projects, like, you know, I think we can collaborate with them in a number of ways, you know, any, anything from like, obviously, you know, Genesis is part of a larger group called digital currency group, which is a big venture investment um, group. And a lot of times we, we, you know, we collaborate very closely with the investment team there um, on, on uh, basically like market infrastructure or liquidity, you know, trading type of um, projects, basically the ones that we think we can, Genesis can either help in some way by giving feedback um, or helping to refine the protocol or actually provide liquidity um, and pricing input. Um, you know, and then on the DCG side, it's more about, you know, investment and, and um, participating in that way, you know, connecting that project more broadly with other portfolio companies within DCG and other, other, you know, wholly owned subsidiaries of DCG. Um, and there's a lot of synergies there, right? Like, like, you know, DCG has like Genesis, you know, it has um, Grayscale, it has, you know, Coindesk, it has Luno, which is a, an exchange group. It has Foundry, which is a mining group. So there's a lot of different pieces there where, you know, depending on the type of project that we talk to, um, if it fits, um, a specific need on the trading side, but it, but it could also kind of meet one of the other buckets, whether it's investment or or um, collaboration with the other one of the other operating businesses. I think that then we take it very seriously and and we sort of talk to talk to the team. We figure out um, you know the best way that DCG and Genesis can work together with them. Right, right, right. So so I mean the, the next question is for the projects out there, right? So what sort of problems or or value add um, will be strategically interesting to you guys from a trading side of view? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. I mean, so, you know, the, the big focus for us is, um, you know, solving some of the, the problems at institutional scale. So, um, yeah, like the, a big thing would be obviously around um, KYC compliance, those types of issues. That's a big concern for us, you know, building like um, and then and then sort of attracting more liquidity um, on uh crypto maybe in a less than fully funded format so um things like the derivative type protocols like the perpetual swap type pr protocols that are building on chain things that are, are less than fully collateralized those could be very interesting to us down the line because I, I think that's kind of where you see um a lot more volume in centralized markets right on the on the futures platforms um and then for me personally because my focus is really on options day to day. Uh, like, I, you know, there's a lot of interest on that from us in terms of um, the nonlinear derivatives, like how can you sort of um, build protocols that are robust enough to handle um, those types of nonlinear payouts? Um, 
things like, you know, and then, and then sort of aggregating those types of um, flows, right. Aggregating them into um, structured products, aggregating uh, across, um, uh, you know, multiple liquidity venues, um, you know, that's sort of like the one inch type of model, um, but, but maybe across like other different um, other chains across right. Um, right. products. Chains. Right, right, right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. I guess, uh, um, you know, th there's a lot of uh, uh, insights and nuggets, right? Right. But, but before we before we let you go, let's wrap it up, uh, wrap this up with the question. Right? So what are some of the interesting projects or things you are seeing in the market right now? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, um, I think, you know, we are always kind of interested in the platforms that are seeing the most um, sort of developer activity and growth, um, which ultimately attracts a lot more sort of institutional investment interest, I think, from our side. So um, I, I mean, we've certainly seen a number of those sort of competitive, you know, base layer type of um, platforms uh, emerge, like especially in the last, you know, six, six to 12 months um, after um, it was clear that ETH had this very robust DeFi ecosystem um with a lot of usage and with that came you know a lot of questions about kind of scalability so um you know things like things like um you know, solana things like um binance smart chain things like uh um things that are supporting very specific use cases like you know like flow and nfts uh you know there's a lot of sort of niches now that people are focused on um, but I think where we see like a lot of investment dollars flow are in the ones in the kind of assets that have a lot of um, liquidity and activity building on top of them. So, yeah, it's really it's, it tends to flow into kind of these the, the base layer protocols and maybe like, you know, the, the kind of like the top three or four different projects that are building on top and the governance tokens associated with those projects. Right. So that's that's kind of where where our clients are focused and that's where we kind of want to supply liquidity as well. Right, right. I can see. Uh... You know, I, I, you had a very, you have a very clear picture about value accrual uh, on, on the uh, how you accrue on chain, uh, on what chain and what assets, right? Um, oh, actually, yeah. so so here here's a maybe a, a a more philosophical question for you, right? So, how do you mm -hmm. view BTC uh, in its own bucket versus let's say L uh, L one assets like ETH, Solana? Um, because one of the things that I'm thinking right now given what you said about cross-chain and, and uh, multiple chains, right, world in the, in the future, is that w w this project, you may know this already, uh, ThornChain. So when they come online, BTC will be able to be swapped atomically uh, with other assets, right? So yep. would you see would you see BTC being a, you know, reserve asset in more than just uh, a storage value where I can actually, just like what Michael Saylor said, right, I can get a loan against my BTC, let's say at 2% a year, right? I, I'd get my mm -hmm. digital dollar, whatever whatever you call that, USTD, USDC, whatever. And then I, I just use that across different chains, right? Do you see that happening with BDC versus, uh, well, not versus, but, you know, in addition to maybe, you know, uh, there's a lot of stable uh, coin projects out there that are using ETH to mint stable coin. Uh, Algo-wise, whether that can be algorithmic or, or over-collateralized, right? How do you see mm -hmm. that dynamic, right? Do you see more flow uh, pairing maybe maybe between these dominant assets and UST, or USD or some sort of version of that. Yes, yeah, so, so yes. Yeah, so your question is like basically Bitcoin as a substitute for dollars as a base kind of funding currency. Yeah, for as well people. as ETH and maybe other 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 layer one protocols, right? Assets. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think I think Bitcoin is a little bit in its own category because of its um, longevity and like 
you know, it's sort of ubiquity. Like everyone kind of knows what Bitcoin is. It, it's always the first stop, right, for institutional investors to get into the space. So um, I think it's more likely that Bitcoin, you know, obtains that, you know, sort of like that base funding currency type of status or you know, the, the currency that people kind of go to um, for like a safe haven, right? Like a right. sort of like swapping back to swapping back. And, and you know, that, that really, that status really cemented itself, I think, sort of in the 20, um, 2017 runoff, right? Where um, all these altcoin pairs would trade to Bitcoin, right? Like on Poloniex and like all these other venues. So like people would always swap back to Bitcoin for stability. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I think that's like, yeah, I mean, that's obviously already happened. And like, it, you know, I think it'll continue to happen like cross chain as well. Like you see it with like wrapped Bitcoin right on ETH. Um, and ETH of course has its own store value type of properties because it is the, the, the base layer asset for basically the majority of the DeFi ecosystem, mm -hmm. right? So yeah. there is that advantage for that. Um, I, I do think like the regulatory landscape for stable coins is gonna change a lot over the, over the next couple of years, right? And it's, yeah, it's probably in a good way. Like I think it'll, it'll become much more formalized in terms of how, how those types of assets get treated. Um, so, you know, I, I think USDC, um, USDT will continue to like be pretty, pretty important sort of base um, funding currencies for most people. Um, but yeah, I think given, given that there is now this sort of paradigm shift and like, you know, I don't know, I've heard it called like a secular de-risking around Bitcoin. Um, I think that probably continues um, where, where people more and more start, more and more people start to treat Bitcoin as, um, as their sort of base like store of value, even though it is highly volatile. Um, I think we've, we've also seen like, you know, people, people are waiting for this pullback for Bitcoin. And um, it's just clear that we're still in the very, very early innings of just um, of just institutional allocation into into Bitcoin. So you, even though, you know, you are, you know, a trillion dollar asset class, like it's clear that there's still more demand behind it. And obviously we're in a bull market and across all kinds of risk assets. And, and of course, like, you know, there's a lot of monetary and fiscal stimulus um, still ongoing, so that's very supportive of it. But um, I, I do think that I do think that um, we're still sort of you know very early innings in terms of the the types of institutional participation that we'll eventually see on Bitcoin. Fantastic, thank you so much, Josh. I think this being a brilliant conversation. I would love to get you back on another time and see how the market yeah. evolved. Yeah.